Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Words are a really, really, really imperfect medium. Even if you are eloquent, it is exceptionally difficult to describe a feeling or to describe something. And most of the time, we're not fully aware of how we're making decisions or what's happening in our lives that influence our feelings or thoughts or, or decisions. So like, not only are words an imperfect medium, but we have imperfect data and we're these flawed humans with wounds wandering around. Uh, and then on top of that, most people struggle to communicate clearly. I mean, it, when, when we have a feeling in our head or our heart, that we want to communicate, it doesn't usually map that nicely to words anyways. And most of us haven't spent the time to read like a hundred books a year and practice our writing and practice our communication. Mm -hmm. So the skill is for most of us is gone too. So I think it's just like verbal communications are default in, in, the, in this world right now, or at least in the Western world. But it's also, it's an insanely glitchy medium for talking about stuff or for just understanding stuff. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jason, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm honored to be here. It's funny because this is a particularly meaningful conversation for me because I've been a fan of The Unmistakable Creative for a while. So it feels awesome to be a guest. Well, it, it's, you know, it's always cool to me when uh, fans become guests. And you, know, you and I were introduced by a, a mutual friend. And uh, you know, when I got to digging into your story, I was really intrigued by it right off the bat. I was like, wow, this is such a fascinating story. So I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living? And what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? That's a great question. So my mom is a professor of education. She's a university professor, basically. And she does a little bit of speaking. My dad, when I was growing up, was a finance guy, a CFO type. But today he is a computer programmer and has a small software business. And at a young, young, young age, my dad had asked me this question. He said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, oh, I want to be a professional magician. And I think I was like eight or nine. And he said to me, well, why do you have to wait until you're an adult to be a professional magician? And with like a huge amount of innocence, I guess, in me, that question made a lot of sense. I was like, oh, I, I guess I don't have to wait until I'm an adult to be a magician. So the combination of like my mom's forward facing work as a professor, where she's sort of always on stage, as well as my dad's business acumen and, and, and particularly entrepreneurship, kind of laid the foundation for me to be unusually comfortable on stage, as well as unusually competent with, with small business, I guess, because I had built in mentors. Mm -hmm. And then I, I worked as a pro magician for nine, 10 years. Uh, actually a little bit longer. And then I, I quit that. I, I wanted to be a, if such a thing exists, normal college student. College was not a good match for me. I am not good at like sitting and focusing uh, and writing papers that feel meaningless. So I, I dropped out of school and spent a couple of years traveling. My, my dad was in the Peace Corps so in, in West Africa. So I think there was always this sense of like, you know, travel and service is something that is not just meaningful, but also accessible. And then when I came back from traveling, I, I had gotten corporations in the U.S. to sponsor my work and my volunteer work as an international volunteer and developer. When I came back, a bunch of colleges and universities had asked me, they were like, what you just did was crazy. Like at, at 19 to 22, you spent a couple of years traveling, volunteering, giving back, learning international development. Will you speak to our students about that? And that sort of question from colleges and universities evolved into a speaking career. And the kind of quirky thing that's top of mind for me these days is I became one of those people who, and this story is almost becoming cliche now, but who on paper, my life was awesome. I was professionally successful. I had a girlfriend. I had a bunch of friends. But at no amount of external validation was able to sort of heal these inner wounds that I had been neglecting. So on paper, as the best person in the world, the way I was experiencing my life I, I was actually kind of miserable and depressed and eventually took on the challenge of healing some old wounds. Mm -hmm. So I, I realize now that I answered both the question you asked as well as a bunch of questions you didn't ask. Well, it, which also raises more questions, as you might imagine. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I'm always curious about uh, with people who do something for such a long part of their life, you know, I see this with people who have been athletes. You know, I remember we, we had a guy here who would, uh, you know, been a runner headed for the Olympics only to have that career end. 
and you know became a performance coach. I'm curious what happens to your sense of identity uh, when you're no longer doing this thing. You know, being a, a child entertainer and a musician, and also you know what are the things about being a child entertainer that you think people have misperceptions about, uh, and you know what is accurate because you know when we think child entertainer, you think oh Gary Coleman and you know rehab. <laughs> yeah, I think so. To there's a couple forking paths here. The child entertainer thing. That's a big topic for me and one I've spent a lot of my 20s and 30s wrestling with. I I actually, to be, sorry, instead of beating around the bush, I'll be candid. I think that in most cases, child entertainment is a sort of like form of child abuse. Um, Very, very, very few children actually like would ever make the active choice to spend their entire lives refining their, their craft as opposed to playing outside or playing video games or being with their friends. But what ends up happening, like if a child has a bit of charisma and a bit of discipline, it's fairly mesmerizing to the rest of the world. And if you start really, really young, like I did, I mean, I I was professionally managed starting at the age of six. um, People assume that the child enjoys that. And I didn't have the awareness to, to ever turn to anybody. This is including up until I was like 18 and quit. I never had the awareness to think like, huh, you know, maybe I would not maybe I would be happier if I were not spending six hours a day, every single day rehearsing and then doing like six, seven, eight, nine shows a week, uh, around the country. This idea literally never occurred to me. So I, and I, I know many child entertainers, many who or former child entertainers, I should say a couple who went on to be very famous and as well as many who were just like me, who worked regionally or just at the national level. But what happens is like, the adults surrounding the child are mesmerized. Entertainment can pay exceptionally well. So there's sort of a cash flow, which is another sort of form of external validation. And the child knows nothing different than their, their art or their entertainment or their sport. So oftentimes it doesn't even occur to them to do something different. I mean, there's, there's this beautiful book uh, open by Andre Agassi where he was a child prodigy at tennis. And it took him decades to really realize that he hated tennis. And this happens all the time with child entertainers. So in some regards, I feel massively fortunate that I was able to realize, hey, you know, being on stage and, and magic and, and other things around it, like speaking, aren't necessarily the fullest expression of myself. And shedding that skin. So, so today I do very little public facing work. I, I have a blog, but that's about it. I haven't been on stage in two or three years. And, and, and I'm also fairly selective about like interviews and stuff like that, that I give, cause it doesn't, it doesn't draw me mm-hmm. shedding the skin was a, a kind of crazy thing because you are letting go of an identity. And what helped me was realizing, and this, I, I think I, you see this all the time, not just in entertainment or, or with child prodigies, but most of us made decisions five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or had decisions made for us by our parents that are no longer relevant to who we are today. But unless you pause and stop and reflect and center in yourself and and then do the hard work of of recalibrating and making some changes in your life, you'll be running off the inertia of these decade old decisions that don't map to the present you. So in in a way, you know, there's always tension with change, but the shedding of that identity and then letting go of all that public facing work felt amazing, really, really liberating. How do people figure out what those decisions were that are still impacting their life today that were made a long time ago? Whoa, that's a great question. So I, my biggest area of interest right now is the individual's relationship to themselves. So there's a lot of ways to pursue your quote unquote true self or for the millionth time I'm rereading uh, The Alchemist by Paula Coelho. So it's a lot of different ways to pursue your personal legend to steal his language. The trick, though, has got to be some awareness-raising exercise. And I used to be adamant that there was like a singular path forward with that. Like, I, I for a while, I thought everybody should meditate. For a while, I thought everybody should go to therapy. Uh, for a while, I thought everybody should do journaling. But the real trick, regardless of what modality you use, is, is to become curious about yourself and to ask yourself pretty big, bold questions like, Am I happy? Do I like my day-to-day? Do the people in my life improve my day-to-day? Am I comfortable with how much money I'm making? Am I comfortable with how honest I'm being with myself in the world? And then just answer those questions candidly and and with vulnerability. In in my experience, the more vulnerable I am with myself, 
the better results. And in and, and the way you do this, you can go for a long walk and talk out loud to yourself. You can write in your journal. You can talk to a therapist. You can, if you can find a skilled one, work with a life coach. Or and some people I know have had massive success with plant medicine. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots of different avenues. But the trick, regardless, is always to be curious about yourself and, and vulnerable with yourself. So how do you deal with not liking what you discover? <laughs> first, so I, I <laughs> the first thing I do is shut down and deny it. Uh, it's it's kind of like getting an email that you really don't want to read or that has unpleasant news and reacting just by turning off your phone or computer and leaving it. Uh, but the, the kind of cool thing about awareness is that once you've gained it, it, it kind of doesn't go away. Like you might fall back asleep for a couple hours, a couple days, a couple weeks, but it's going to start to nag at you. Our, our blind spots will eventually, if you shine just a bit of light, they'll eventually nag at you. Uh, so I, I, I kind of, in this case, if somebody's doing work on him or herself, advocate gentle, slow change. So you, you've discovered that though you've built a seven-figure business or though you're successful in your professional life or though your relationship with your significant other seems healthy, it no longer serves you. I think you slowly make changes. You know, I think you slowly pursue a new business. I think you slowly pursue a new job. I think you slowly pursue winding down your relationship step by step. In, in personal development, there's this huge trend towards uh, making massive change and, and, and shifting everything in your life. And candidly, that, that's almost abusive to the individual. It is so hard to wake up on Tuesday and behave as though you are a fundamentally different person than you were on, Wednesday, on, on Monday. Way, way, way better move. It's just make small, gradual, gentle changes with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the the other thing that, you know, I found even in, in terms of creative habits is that smaller changes are much more sustainable, whereas, you know, really big changes, you know, it's the person who comes to me and says, I want to develop the habit of writing a thousand words a day. I'm like, well, first develop the habit of sitting down at your desk and opening the notebook. Yeah, exactly. And then they add up really quickly, too. Yeah, that's the, the and that's the thing It's not glamorous or sexy. It's just consistent. Yeah, exactly. And then you do it. You write a thousand words a day or you get good at sitting down and opening your notebook and writing 10 words, 20 words. And then you have the habit a couple months later, people start to notice the change in you. And the external world thinks that it was overnight. It's like, holy shit, you're a different person. But internally, you know, you know what? I just day by day made small, slight changes. And now other people are noticing. And now they've added up. So you know, we're talking about self-awareness and, and one of the things that really has um, kind of been on my mind lately as I've, I've spent a lot of this year sort of doing deeper dives into to self and, and, you know, healing work and EMDR and all sorts of crazy shit, you know, working with coaches, stuff that I never thought I would do, seeing energy healers. I mean, it's been like this crazy, just weird exploration of everything, spirituality and self. Um, but one of the things that really struck me as I was, you know, reading through Tasha Yurik's book Insight was I was like, okay, how do you prevent self-awareness from turning into rumination? Because I think oh, it man. can from so for so many people. And has it for you? It certainly has for me. I mean, it's it's like it's really appealing to sit around and just think about yourself and dive into your pain and think and feel about how tortured you are, or how great you are. Um I think for me, I'm really curious what your answer to this question is, because I think you have a more thought out one. For me, I I think eventually it happens automatically. For me, like one practice that has served me well is I I try to lean into the pain in my life. Um, The the tendency in this culture right now is to sort of numb the pain with television or alcohol or busyness or other drugs or whatever. My, My instinct is usually the opposite. So if I am becoming aware of something unpleasant in my life, uh, usually the pain will catch up with me so quickly that like I'm spurred into action. So I guess it's by subtracting all the numbing agents. And then the flip side, like I, there's a, I, I have a handful of friends who get lost in how awesome they are. And I'm always kind of jealous about that because my, <laughs> my mind is like one that only notices how crappy I am or like the flaws that I have or the mistakes that I've made. Uh-huh. So like the, the other trap of just sitting around in, in with vanity and narcissism, I, I, I don't, I'm not wired to fall into, yeah. but what I, I think that's an important question. What do you, how do you handle that? You know, it's funny. Um, I think part of the reason that I, I do a lot of the action sports that I do is that it tends to shut off that part of my mind. Um, like, 
it, it shuts off logic, I think. And, and, you know, doing work with energy healers, that, that has been my curse is that I have this incredibly logical mind. And, and I also have this very creative mind. And, you know, the, one of the, the things I learned yesterday from the, the founder of Puri was that if you have a creative mind and that mind isn't given something productive to do, it can create stories and, and ruminate. Like, that's what it's masterful at doing at. Um, so for me, it, it's finding, you know, an activity, I think, that really shuts it off and, and makes me present. I mean, that's that's a big part of why I surf and snowboard. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it's funny, people are hung up on meditation these days and, and for the right person, it's a phenomenal tool. Mm-hmm. But you can accomplish that same sense of presence and like in your body and, and like being driven by your feeling or your emotion or whatever you want to call it by doing other things like surfing or snowboarding or whatever, going on a beautiful hike. Yeah. It doesn't have to be sitting silently trying to focus on your breath. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, you, you know, as, as a byproduct of going through this experience, started to realize that you had deep inner wounds that, you know, hadn't been healed. I'm curious if you'd be willing to talk about what those were and what led to them. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is one of the reasons that I think child entertainment tends to be fairly abusive. Uh, and, and I should hedge. I mean, my parents made a phenomenally loving decisions around this. I, I was born with quirks about my ability on stage that unless you happen to be an entertainer yourself, you would have no idea how to manage in, in your child. But one of the things that virtually all entertainers, especially people that work in entertainment at a young age, learn. And by the way, I think a lot of people learn this, not just entertainers, uh, but they, they, you, you learn that you have to earn love. You earn that you are not intrinsically worthy of love and that you have to perform. You have to be someone. You can't just relax into being who you truly are and let the world enjoy you. You got to be somebody better than who you truly are. And entertainers learn this times 10 because if you suck, the audience will boo you. And if you're good, they'll stand up and clap for you. But entertainment is, is, is always an illusion. I mean, Lady Gaga, when she's on stage, will never drink water on stage despite the fact that she's singing and dancing because she doesn't want her audience to think of her as a human. So to, one of the things that I learned that was very scarring, and again, you don't need to be an entertainer to learn this. A lot, a lot, a lot of people deal with this, is that like I'm not intrinsically worthy of love. So that was this huge, huge, huge scar for me. Um, and though my external life looked like it was one where I was very comfortable taking risks of all sorts, I, I actually was terrified of almost even the safest bets that I was making with my, my finance and my business and all this other stuff. I had a huge amount of tension and anxiety around that. And I had tried a bunch of different modalities. I mean, I'd tried uh, journaling and meditating and faking it till you make it and all that stuff. And then I, I realized, like, you know what, I, I need help. And I had gone on a retreat. Um, and that, that helped a little bit. It helped me gain my awareness, but it didn't help me heal. And then I was on a, on a meditation, a three-day silent meditation retreat and just realized, you know, Jason, for your, I, at the time, I think I was 29 or 30, I had realized, Jason, uh, your entire life, you have struggled in romantic relationships and you've struggled to trust the, the sort of warmth and connection from your friends that you are yearning for. You've tried to fix this yourself. You've tried to fix this with like occasional retreats. Uh, in your entire life, you've also struggled with like taking financial risks and, and stuff like that. It's time to fix that. And I, I just realized I, I can't do this on my own and sought the help of a therapist. And the, the kind of funny thing, I, I wrote about this in my blog, the first therapist I, I got was this massively uh, abusive and manipulative woman. She, I, I have been quite blessed uh, with my blog and in, in my clientele and that it's read by people who are much more influential than I am, which is a true blessing and something unexpected. And I mentioned this to my first therapist and she uh, effectively tried to manipulate me into writing uh, an article about how great she is and then linking to her work. And that was pretty jarring on its own. And I eventually recentered from that, uh, obviously severed that relationship and then asked a friend, a close friend of mine in Denver, hey, you know, I, I need a good therapist. Do you know anyone who'd be a good match for me? And then eventually she, she connected me with somebody who was a phenomenal match. So I entered that relationship in, in therapy with some awareness of the scars and the wounds that I had. And then the, the woman I worked with really helped speed up not just my awareness, but also the healing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and you would ask sort of what the wounds were and how they healed. I'd actually be hard pressed to explain how they healed. There's this sort of like a, a mystery to me about how healing, whether it's with a therapist or plant medicine, and, and some people seem to be able to be healed just with awareness, but it's, it's totally a mystery to me how those things actually work. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. You know, one of the, the question, you know, you mentioned, uh, you alluded to romantic relationships and, and, you know, it was curious, you know, in this sort of bizarre childhood, one, do you have siblings? And if so, what was your relationship like, you know, with them like as a result of this? And, and two, how did this affect your social relationships growing up? Oh, great question. So my brother, I, I have one younger sibling and he and I, for the most part, have always been really, really close. I, I have these fond memories of my so i'm three and a half years older than than rob and i have these fond memories of being with my friends in the basement and we're teenagers so we kind of like horse around and like make fun of one another and my younger brother who has this like certain sensitivity towards people and this certain ability with people when he's like 12 would be able to pinpoint the guys that we were teasing come in tease them a little bit and then leave and it was just the funniest thing in the world to watch my little brother uh, mock the guy that we were mocking and then peace out. I, I loved that. Uh, and, and, you know, like any other close relationship, there's occasional bouts of turbulence. But he and I remain very close other, other than my girlfriend. He's the person that I speak to the most often uh, in any given day or week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, 
I, the, one of the things that drove me towards finding a, a healing modality that worked for me, though, was that I was struggling in my romantic relationships. I, I generally, when I met a woman who I loved and admired, uh, I generally wasn't able to get close to her because I wasn't able to fully open up and, and be vulnerable and be sort of raw with her um, and, and truly let her see me. There's just this wall that like, once you hit that wall, I couldn't bypass it. So the end result was it, very reasonably, a, a lot of women who I admired, not a lot, but a small handful of women that I admired, basically said in, in so many words, you know, Jason, you're a phenomenal guy, but I, for whatever reason, we're not connecting as, as deeply as I want to. Mm-hmm. And when I started healing myself, you know, a lot of times I have no idea how the world works, but a lot of times it seems to give you the exact gift or the exact challenge that you need. Shortly after I entered therapy with, with the therapist that I really resonated with, I met my current girlfriend and like in real time was able to practice the skills of like opening up and, and being vulnerable and, and forming deep relationships with her. And that's going great. I, we were just talking earlier today about potentially living in a different country for, for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you, your, your question was spot on because it wasn't just sabotaging my sense of self. It, I, it, my wounds were also sabotaging my ability to get what I wanted out of life and really just sort of engage with life and revel with the people that I admired. Mm. So I, I want to talk about, um, you know, one, the decision to leave college uh, and you know what your personal views on our current education system are, because I think we probably share very similar ones. I kind of wish I had done what you did. Uh, <laughs> And, and and I'm curious, kind of, you know, having left that environment, how it sort of shaped your perspective on, on what was possible with your life and your work. Yeah. So good question. I think college is a tr- tricky one. I, I have a close friend here who was the first person in her family to go to college, first generation college student. And she went on to get a master's from a very good university, and it made all the difference to her. She, she now runs a very successful design agency. Agency in, in Boulder, Colorado. For her, had she not gone to college, it, it really would have inhibited her success and her engagement with life. For me, the best thing I got out of college was a, a group of close friends. Uh, the education was was sort of largely a waste of time. Now, this is not because I'm smarter than my friend. Her her name is Liz. Liz is actually almost certainly smarter than I am. I think what in, in you know the conversation with entrepreneurs these days and, and creatives tends to be college is a waste of time. I don't actually believe that. I, I, I think what's happened is we largely have a product market mismatch right now. The sort of consensus or the consensus, you know, when you and I we're graduating from high school was that everybody should go to college if you can, because it's going to get you a good degree. It's going to get you a good job. That's clearly not the case anymore. I think what we need is when kids are like 17, 18 is for the kid, him or herself, as well as to some degree, the parents to sit around and think, you know, we've seen this kids like early, early indications of what they're good at, what they're bad at, who they are, how disciplined they are, all that stuff. Does it seem to make sense for them to go to college? And I I do think categorically that just about everyone should take at least a year or two off. You don't have to travel. You don't have to do anything fancy. You can just work at a pizza shop or a coffee shop. But there should be some gap, I think, between high school and college before somebody goes so they can get a sense of themselves outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, as tuition rates skyrocket, and the job market seems to be drifting away from traditional jobs towards more of a, a gig or freelance economy. I, I think people should be slow to choose college these days. Um, I, I think there's a lot of better alternatives. I don't know if this is still true, but about a year ago, you could pay twenty or thirty thousand dollars, go to a coding boot camp for seven or eight weeks, and then reasonably expect if you are an average coder to get a job for between seventy and ninety thousand dollars hmm. whereas like the deal that that many of my friends made was they paid uh one hundred and fifty thousand dollars went massively 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 into debt got a four year degree and then maybe if they were lucky started working at a nonprofit for thirty two thousand dollars yeah. a year yeah so i I think for most people it's it's probably a bad bet for for me travel was like the ultimate education, both about myself and, and the world. And I, I imagine it's the same for you and, and many people who 
take the leap and get on a plane. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, I want to ask about one particular article um, on your website uh, that, it, for all I know, it may be one of the most popular just from looking at the number of comments. And you probably know what I'm already alluding to. You'd written a piece titled <laughs> Why I've Lost Faith in, uh, you know, Tony Robbins and most life coaches. And I wanted to, one, to have you talk about where that came from, what the perspective was, because I was so curious about it. I was like, hey, I was showing this to a friend of mine. She was like, wow. Yeah. So. One thing you learn, I appreciate you asking about that. Uh, it has become incredibly controversial. I mean, I published that almost a year ago. And to this day, still get sort of emails, both glowing and nasty, about that article on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's difficult for people to fully grasp this who haven't spent a lot of time on stage. But so, it, so if, if listeners, and I, and I know you have, so you, you have direct experience with this, and maybe you can validate it. But listeners who haven't, you can kind of take my, or I hope you can take my word for this. A skilled performer on stage can generally evoke the emotional response that he or she desires in his or her audience. And and I I don't actually mean this in a vague way. I mean, and and I've given hundreds of performances as a magician and then hundreds more as a keynote speaker. I mean that if you say, Jason, make this audience feel fear. I can create, and, and most skilled entertainers and speakers can do this, a true sensation of fear in most of the audience's body. Likewise, if you say, Jason, bring this audience to tears, it might take me 30, 40 minutes to do that, but I can reliably do that. It's same with standing ovations. I mean, there, there's tricks to getting standing ovations and, and, and creating the audience, the emotion in the audience so that they want to stand up on their feet. So, when when we look at or when i was looking at tony robbins i was looking at him from a slightly different angle that's it, like you, you start to learn that there are false feelings or that you can inspire a false feeling in the audience and that there are tricks to that and, and there's ways to use that for good there's ways to use that for bad so the first thing that when i was watching his work was this sense of like well let's see the performative aspects of it and he and i, I wrote about this he, he does some sort of from a performance aspect or an emotional aspect, very powerful things. I mean, he'll have people share their their suicidal tendencies in front of thousands of people. There's just no way that this is not an emotionally heavy and charged environment for the vast majority of people in the room. And Tony Robbins has more experience on stage than just about anyone. He certainly knows this. And, and most people will get drawn into that false feeling. But if you allow yourself a little bit of remove, what you see is quite clear. You see him uh, getting these people to open up before they're necessarily ready to in front of a live crowd. And that's a dangerous thing. You really don't need a lot of sophistication to understand that that can be deeply, deeply, deeply scarring. But then the other thing that was a little bit more personal for me beyond just sort of seeing the, the performative aspect and understanding that a skilled performer can play an audience sort of like an instrument was my own direct experience with life coaches. Now there are, to be clear, some absolutely phenomenal ones. I mean, truly world-class who are healing people, raising awareness, helping them develop skills. And I've been the benefactor of a handful of those, but many, many, many of them like Robbins have a huge amount of charisma they have a certain amount of gifts, but because they've never been trained traditionally or non-traditionally in how to heal people, and because they're only really relying on their intuition of how humans work and how the human heart and soul works, as opposed to study and, and mentorship and tutorship and all that shit, they, they end up perhaps unintentionally abusing people and really scarring them and wounding them or, or creating this false sense of being healed or creating this false sense of, of security when in fact they're still victims of the same core wounds that they've always been. So I don't really fault people for hosting personal development ceremonies, uh, seminars. I, I think they can be done massively well. But where I think a lot of life coaches lack awareness is in the limitations of their gifts. And I think they need to be acutely aware of that. I think they need to 
honor that and then communicate that clearly to the audience. Hmm. And in most cases, what a good life coach can do is he can raise your awareness or she can raise your awareness. But generally, especially that one to many, like one person leading thousands of people, generally you can't really provide deep healing. Deep healing takes vulnerability and time and intimacy. So it's the combination of this sort of deception, perhaps unawares deception, as well as this like just manipulating the audience that inspired that article for me, as well as my own experience with life coaches, some who are phenomenal, others who, who aren't. You know, it's, it's interesting because it, it makes me think of my, my own experiences with the Landmark Forum where I see the people in Landmark who, you know, literally Landmark becomes their whole life. Uh, you know, they go to the first thing, then they go to the second thing. And next thing you know, that's literally, you know, their whole life, but nothing is actually changing for them. Yeah. And that's and that's common because a, a good entertainer, a good speaker can create or a good coach can create this feeling of just like you are incredible. You are the best human in the world in this coach's presence. But if that feeling goes away after a couple of weeks, that's probably a false healing or a false sense of, of, of self that the coach has provided for you. Mm-hmm. You know, this actually, I think, makes a, a perfect setup for how I want to spend the rest of our time. You know, the headline on your on your website says the art of personal power. And you had mentioned being able to invoke the kinds of emotions in people that lead to standing ovations. So I want to talk about how do you communicate in a way that is powerful with other people in your life and how do you become more effective at it? And then we can kind of, you know, get, make our way to standing ovations from there. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So these days with my girlfriend or my close friends or my family members, there's real, I, I think there's only two or three things I, I try to do. I, I do try to proactively lean into hard conversations. I, we were talking earlier about not numbing yourself. One of the ways we numb ourselves is by having this glaring conversation that we need to have with someone else or with ourselves and not having it. So I, I do try to actively lean into conversations. Uh, I also try to be the first one to open up. I, I believe that if there's friction in a relationship, then generally it's a two-way street. It's really tempting for me with any fight that I have with my girlfriend to think like, oh, well, she's doing X, Y, and Z, and that's not fair. I have learned uh, that a much more skilled approach is to begin with the inquisition of like, you know, what am I doing that's, that's causing this friction or how am I positioning myself in a way that's not uh, kind of myself or kind of her, or kind of us as a, as a unit. Um, and, and then from there, and it took me a long, long time to learn this and to truly understand most of the time when people go into hard conversations, um, they have a desired outcome or they almost have like a script in their head as though they're going to give a speech sort of for an audience of one or an audience of two. There's a huge amount of value in just allowing the conversation to be raw and messy and open without necessarily knowing where it's going to lead. That's hard because you're so vulnerable. You're so exposed in that moment. But it it, it tends to go well Mm -hmm. uh, if you do or it tends to produce something authentic if you do. Mm -hmm. From from a strategic level, I mean, again, I I just try to open up first um, as well. And this is very difficult for me. But try to also be open to feedback from other people. And, and this is not like my day-to-day communication. This is like just when it counts or when it matters. Um, there's one other trick that's that's been really important for me. And it's smoothed over so many relationships. It took me a long time to realize this. There's often a huge gap between what someone says, the, the words that literally come out of their mouth and what they actually mean and to figure out what they mean you often have to like trust your gut observe their body language observe their behavior take into account what you know about him or her as a whole individual but if you can start trusting and and focusing on the person's intent and, and what they mean as opposed to the words that come out of their mouth which are often deeply 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 divorced from their truth then you can really get to the the sort of meat of the problem and, and the meat of the relationship. And a lot of stuff that felt personal starts to melt away when you focus more on the truth of what's intended to be communicated. Why is there gap that gap between truth and, and words? That's a great question. I love I, I communications and words are like my favorite thing in the world. I think there's two reasons. One, words are a really, really, really imperfect medium. Even if you are eloquent, 
it is exceptionally difficult to describe a feeling or to describe something. And most of the time, we're not fully aware of how we're making decisions or what's happening in our lives that influence our feelings or thoughts or, or decisions. So like not only are words an imperfect medium, but we have imperfect data and we're these flawed humans with wounds wandering around. Uh, and then on top of that, most people struggle to communicate clearly. I mean, it, when, when we have a feeling in our head or our heart that we want to communicate, it doesn't usually map that nicely to words anyways. And most of us haven't spent the time to read like a hundred books a year and practice our writing and practice our communication. Mm -hmm. So the skill is for most of us is gone too. So I think it's just like verbal communications are default in, in in this world right now, or at least in the Western world. But it's also, it's an insanely glitchy medium for talking about stuff or for just understanding stuff. Wow. Well, I think that makes a, a really perfect setup for how is it that you're able to consistently, you know, create situations where you can produce a standing ovation. Uh, what <laughs> so leads to first, that? That's an entirely selfish question, by the way. Oh, okay, cool. So, we'll we can drill into details because there's a lot, but I think the first thing for speakers to realize, and, and this is like I should hedge for anyone listening. This is not that I am just such a talented speaker that I can do this. This is that like audiences, which are made up of humans, behave in predictable ways. And and there's kind of two tricks. One is understanding how a story is told. I mean, there's this brilliant book, Story, by Robert McCabe. Mm -hmm. uh, And he is a screenwriter, and he analyzed a huge number of award-winning films and realized that most of them map into this sort of hero's journey and map into this predictable narrative arc with multiple climaxes and all this stuff. So if you structure a speech, this could be a two-minute speech or a 75-minute keynote or whatever, in a way that is naturally conducive to drawing the audience in, you're starting from a pretty solid foundation. But the biggest, when when I work, this is perhaps immaterial, but I've I've had more testing grounds for this theory than most people. My full-time job is helping professional speakers build their businesses. So I've been able to watch the careers of a lot of emerging speakers. The biggest mistake that speakers make, uh, and I I used to do this all the time, uh, they give a great speech, they close their speech, and then they basically sprint off stage. Like the audience is sitting there applauding, the audience has been moved, the audience is, is touched by the speaker, and the speaker just like, leaves before she can accept the accolades and the gratitude for the audience. If you or any other speaker uh, pause and stay on stage and accept the love that the audience is giving to you, then you're much more likely to form a deep connection with them. And, And if your talk was good, they're much more likely to continue rewarding you in that moment and start standing up. But most people don't even give their audience a moment or a chance to give them a standing ovation. And, and the final thing I should say, and this is actually probably the most important one, a, a well-designed speech. So all the, all the information in the world, basically, is available for free online. Like when, when somebody goes to see a speaker, they're not truly interested in the information. What they're truly interested in is how that speaker is going to make him or her feel. And the easiest way to make the audience feel amazing is to get obsessed with the audience and, and design your speech to be, for the audience, educational, entertaining, and engaging. And if you can hit those metrics with pretty much every sentence or story that comes out of your mouth, the audience is going to fall in love with you because you're, you're dedicating an hour of your life to improving them. So if you really make it an audience-centered thing as opposed to a speaker-centered thing, mm-hmm. then your, increase of, your, your chances of forming a deep emotional connection that's going to inspire them just skyrocket. Mm. Wow. Um, well, I think that makes a really beautiful place to, to wrap up our conversation. So I want to finish by asking you one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think this is probably becoming a cliche answer, but I think <laughs> authenticity and, and finding the courage to open up and, and show yourself in the world who you truly are. So often there's, and that's risky and vulnerable and difficult, but if you have the courage to do that, I think it does become unmistakable. Wow. Uh, well, this has been really amazing and uh, mind-blowingly cool. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, JasonConnell.co. J-A-S-O-N-C-O-N-N-E-L-L dot C-O. 
Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.